0: Good morning and welcome to each of you this morning. Greetings in Jesus' name, the one who loves us, the one who died for us, and the one who cares about us. I trust that our gathering this morning can be a blessing and inspiration. I found it that way in our time together in prayer this morning. There's power in prayer. There's power. There's strength in that. As we think of this ministry and the influence that we can have on a few people in our community. And so God bless you, the committee and those directly involved. Just a special blessing as you move into this and prepare for this. The counselors too. God bless you richly. And as a church that we can be supportive too. This is a ministry that... uh, we have an opportunity to show the love of Christ. There's something about when a person dies, that one of the things that we often ask, or there's, the question is asked, so what were some of the last words that the person said before they passed? There's something about the impact of a person's last words that uh, have some meaning or some purpose and... Uh, and that can be comforting to us. Just went through that experience with my mother. Even though she didn't express many words in her last few days, we did get response from her and different things we would say and by nod of her head, but got very few words from her in the last few days. Michael Faraday was a was a man or a little boy that was born into a poor family in London in the late 1700s. And he became one of the famous, most famous scientists in the world. His education was very limited, but he had just an intense desire to learn. And he worked for a bookbinder, at a young age this was, he, he worked for a bookbinder, and so during the day he would bind books and at night he would read And through his, just his intense desire to learn, he made numerous discoveries on his own, some of them being electromagnetism. And he was the first to turn chlorine into liquid. And some of the more common things that we use today, like electric motors and electric transformers, trace their origins back to him. And even today, he is considered as just an an exceptional scientist. But aside from all that, he was a dedicated and devout Christian. And he clearly demonstrated that to the community around him. And it was clear to them that his passion was following the Lord Jesus. And as he got older, the English Empire offered him Numerous things, knighthood, and they, they even offered him to be for a burial plot for him to be buried next to the kings and the queens. But he refused these things. He said that's, he would rather be buried just amongst the common people. But just before he died, someone asked him what he thought his occupi- occupation might be in the next world. And he just gave a a simple little reply to that, and it, it reveals his passion and his driving force behind his life. And he said this, I shall be with Christ. That is enough. A few simple words, but it revealed something about him. This morning I want us to think about the last some of the last words that Jesus said to his disciples. Alvin read this passage from John chapter one. But some of the last words that he spoke to his disciples, and especially um, to his disciples. And thinking about this morning the power of oneness. This passage that Alvin read is often referred to as a high priestly prayer, and this was a prayer that the disciples heard. It is some of the last words spoken to them before his death, and it reveals so much about his purpose on earth and his passion for his disciples and his followers in the future, and so just breaking down John chapter 17 here into a few sections, into three sections actually. And I believe this is a very good pattern for us to even pray today. A very good example of how that we can pray. Verses 1 through 5. Jesus there prayed for himself. And his, he prayed about his mission and his purpose on earth. And he asked for strength for the final hour in verses 6 through 19 he prayed specifically for that group of disciples gathered around him those men those few men that were gathered around him and notice especially verse verse 11 that he prayed specifically that they would be one that was his prayer for them just like he and the father are one his prayer for them that they would be one just like he and the father and I want us to get a little bit of a picture of who these group of men were. I don't know what you think of when you think of the disciples, but sometimes we, we might get the idea that this was just a kind of a pious little group of men following Jesus and doing whatever he said. But think about who they actually were. They had their differences and disputes. There was Matthew, the publican, he was a tax collector. He was actually sold out to Rome, and, but to the Jewish people, he was a hated man. They did not respect the publicans, the tax collectors. So that was one of the men. There was a number of them that were fishermen. Now, I don't know what you think of when you think of fishermen, and especially men that have that occupation, but if you've ever gone fishing, fishermen are not just, to me, I No offense, but they're they're kind of a a rough bunch of men. If you go, a a man that has that occupation, I know some of you enjoy fishing, and I'm not saying that you're a rough bunch or anything. But the people that have that occupation, if you get what I'm saying, and, and don't get me wrong, I realize I'm standing here and I might have an occupation myself, that the same people might have that idea about that occupation also. But the picture here that of these men, of who they were, these were just some ordinary men. But Jesus saw some potential in these men, and he was teaching them and preparing them. These were men who Jesus wanted to use to take the gospel, to spread the good news to the nations around them. These men had their arguments even prior to this just prior to this when Jesus was spoke these words they they had that argument about who's the greatest among them and they two of them was it James and John who were asking that they would be seated on one on the right hand and one on the left hand and the the others got jealous and they were they were ticked off that they were asking for something like this from Jesus they were not They were not impressed at all. In spite of all this, Jesus saw some potential in these men. And he prayed for them that they would be one. These were the first men. They were some of the first men to receive the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. And there was a oneness. And Jesus' prayer was answered. They took the gospel and they spread the good news. Many people came to know Jesus because of this. The power of oneness. Jesus prayed that they would be one. John 17, and, uh, verse 17 and 18, there it brings out that he prays that his disciples would have joy. That God would protect his disciples from the evil one. Alvin had mentioned this. Jesus prayed specifically that they would be protected from the evil one. Jesus prayed that God would sanctify them. To make them holy. To make them, uh, use them in spreading the gospel. In preparing them for that. Then moving on to verses 20 through 26. Jesus prays for all believers yet to come. In verses 21 through 23, he mentions four times that we would be one. More read those verses. That they all may be one as thou father art in me and I in thee, that they may also be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me and the glory which thou gavest me I have given them, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and thou in me, that they may be made Perfect in one, and that the world may know that Thou hast sent me and hast loved them as Thou hast loved me. Isn't it comforting to think that approximately 2,000 years ago, Jesus prayed that there would be a oneness? He prayed for us as a church that there would be oneness. Did he have mine road in mind when he prayed that? Did he have the universal church in mind? Or whatever church you're a part of here sitting here this morning. Did he have your church in mind? I believe he did. He prayed for a oneness. Jesus knew the impact that this oneness can have on the world the influence the impact and how it would draw people to himself there are a few things that this prayer affirms this prayer affirms that God and Jesus were and always have been one they always were and have been one this prayer affirms that the 12 can be one in the sense that God and Jesus are one we can look at this prayer and if you notice how in verse 12 he prayed for his disciples and yet he knew that one was lost. He knew that. But he still prayed that they'd be one. I don't know if Judas was present when he was praying this. But he prayed that they would be one as God and Jesus are one. This prayer affirms that the key to believers being one is their whole being Is that their whole being and fellowship is in God. That's what Jesus prayed for us. That our whole being is in God. Our fellowship is in God. So what is this oneness that Jesus is talking about? He prayed that we would be one. How do we define being one? Is it a union? Is it being unified? Is it unity? What is being one? Now, oneness is having something in common. It is to share a common goal. That is oneness. Union is the act of joining together. We're familiar with the term union. Somewhat, into we, we realize that the government there, there's a union. And so what is a union? It's the act of joining together. People are things to form a whole. Think of marriage. When a man and woman come together in marriage, there's a union. They become one. For my wife and I, what is, what is mine is hers and what is hers is mine. There, there's a union. There's a bond. There's, we're one. And yet, there's two people, right? But we say they they are one. That takes place in the church, also. Romans twelve five says, "So we, being many, are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another." So, as a church body, we are one. There's many of you sitting here, and yet, as the body of Christ, we are one. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. Here, Paul describes this oneness, or what this oneness has in common. Ephesians 4, I'm going to read 3 through 16, just to give us a picture of What I believe that Jesus was talking about this oneness, starting there in verse 3, Endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace, there is one body and one spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ, Wherefore he saith, When he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive, and gave gifts unto men. Now that he ascended, what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave some apostles, and some prophets, and some evangelists, and some pastors, and teachers, for the perfecting of the saints, for the working of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. And that's as far as I'm going to read there. Here in verses 3 through 6, it describes what unity is, this oneness, what this oneness is. And unity is when... We are one. We are of one body, and Jesus being the head of the body, the church. There's one spirit. It brings this out here. There's one spirit, one purpose, and there's a mission and a goal. There is one God and Father of all. That's unity in a nutshell. And you could you could expound a lot more on this. Jesus emphasized that we be one, so that why why did he say we should be one? He said so that the world would believe, and so that they would know who sent him. So that the world would believe, and so that they would know him. Jesus was saying. That when there is a oneness of him with him, when there is unity in the brotherhood, when there is one faith, when there is one spirit and one God and father, as it talks about here in Ephesians, and we allow him to be Lord of our life. This is a powerful testimony to the world. When they can see that oneness, there's something about that that people are drawn to. They see that. Jesus was visualizing, as he had had this prayer, I think he was visualizing local groups of people, of individuals, believers, groups of believers, committing themselves in loving relationships, and that becoming a statement to the world. This kind of unity can have a tremendous impact on the world. In the upper room, just before his prayer, Jesus said to his disciples, By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. And so I think our love for each other says something about who we are. And it speaks clearly to the world. And so the love that we have for each other, the unity that we display, it draws people to God. That's the purpose of this oneness that Jesus was talking about. Jesus, I I believe Jesus plainly believed in spreading the gospel through oneness and love for each other. And I think sometimes we fail to connect oneness into brotherhood with evangelism and i was thinking about this that this morning too as we think of, of clubs and that ministry how well can we evangelize if there is not oneness jesus made it very clear that in order for the for the, the gospel to spread there needs to be a oneness a oneness first of all it's a relationship with god And out of that is displayed our love for each other. But I think we often fail to connect oneness in the brotherhood with evangelism. When we're not connected with God and the spirit and with each other, it affects our testimony. And so it first of all starts with our personal relationship with God. And this impacts how we relate to our spouse. It impacts how we relate to our children, to our families, and to our brothers and sisters in the church. And when there's a disconnection or when there's things are dysfunctional, I believe that this has a negative effect on our testimony when things are not functioning the way God has designed them to be. It has a negative effect on our testimony on our witness psalm 133 if you read that short psalm a few verses there it gives quite a picture of unity and i'm not sure what the, the word picture there all is, or what he was trying to tell us but the first verse says this behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity and then he goes on and gives this word picture It is like the precious ointment upon the head that ran down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard that went down to the skirts of the garments, as the dew of Hermon and as the dew that descended upon the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord commanded the blessing, even life evermore. Now what picture do you get of unity in Aaron's beard? But he says, like precious ointment upon the head that ran down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard. Now we probably picture Aaron with a decent sized beard. I don't know if we can picture anybody like that here this morning or not, but maybe there's a few. But think think about the beard that ran this this ointment running down over the beard. I don't know what this picture word picture is all to mean. But it does say, behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. The power of oneness. The effect, the impact that that has. The beauty and the power of oneness. One of the things that is often mentioned in a discussion with unity is the question whether Unity and uniform and uniformity are the same, or are they linked together? Let's think a little bit of how God created the physical body and, and how the, the body functions. Now, I don't know if you can imagine that if, if a person would be, let's say a person would be all thumbs. That's all he would be, would just be thumbs. Well, we know that a person like that would be incapable of, of doing anything. It would kind of be useless. Just laying around. Would be unable to see. To eat. To think. And so on. Uh, wouldn't be able to walk. But this individual would be an organ. Not a body. Which means of course it wouldn't really be a person. Right? Because it would just be a thumb. It would be an organ. It would be uniform. It would be one thing of the same. Not united so a body is a combination of different parts functioning together in unity. I think it's important that we actually understand the differences between unity and uniformity. Because I don't think we can appreciate differences in the church body unless we understand this. Unity implies variation. And uniformity implies sameness. This morning as we sat together, we were singing. And the singing was beautiful. There was harmony. There was unity in our singing. Now, if everyone sings soprano, or if everybody would sing bass, that that would sort of get drab, right? It's okay to sing, and that's unison. That's singing together in in unison or uniformity. But when we sing in harmony, there are different parts being sung at the same time, and that brings unity. There's harmony in unity. Or you can say it the other way around. There's unity in harmony. Singing is beautiful when it is done with harmony, when the four parts They're united together. There's unity. (coughs) Unity is harmony. Uniformity is one steady note. You would just sing one note or just sing something in unison. And I think if God had wanted uniformity in my body, he probably could have made all thumbs. But since he desired unity in me, he created every, everything about us, our, our feet, our hands, our ligaments, and you could go on, all the body parts. God created diversity in our physical bodies, and he also did that in the body of Christ, the church. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians 12. I'm not going to take the time to read this entire, or most of this chapter, but Here again, it talks about the body and the diversity and how that actually it works together in unity, even though there is diversity. God designed the church to be diverse, and especially in our spiritual gifts, and this is what he is talking about here. I'm just going to read a few of the verses here. 1 Corinthians 12, starting in verse 4. Now there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit, and there are differences of administrations, but the same Lord, and there are diversities of operations, but it is the same God which worketh all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another the gifts of healing by the same Spirit. To another the work of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to to another diverse kinds of tongues, by another the interpretation of tongues. By all these worketh that one and self-same spirit, dividing to every man severally as he will. And notice what it says there in that last verse I read. But all these worketh that one and the self-same spirit. There is one God, there is one spirit. And yet there is a diverse gifts given to each, of one, to each one of us. God created and designed it that way. Our body was created with diversity. And so I, in the same way, the body of Christ is created with diversity. And yet these things blend together. And when there's a oneness, when they all work together, it's a tremendous blessing. If you have anything on your body that is hurting and not functioning well, it sort of drags a whole, it drags everything else down. The, the rest of it kind of, it's got to pick up. And it's the same way in the, in the body of Christ. But when there is a oneness, when we have a common goal, and when we can work together on one thing and have a common goal, yes, there will be different ideas and perspectives. But that's okay. That's the way God actually designed it. And yes, we can think, wouldn't it be great if everybody thought like you and reasoned like you and believed like you? There wouldn't be no conflict. There would be no debates or relational difficulties because everyone would have exactly the same thoughts that you do. Hard for us to imagine a life like that. Everybody thinking like I do. We'd kind of be a bunch of robots we'd be clones because we'd all think the same we do the same thing but god is honored and glorified through the diversity that he gives us if everyone was exactly like you what would what would it mean to come together and to be able to reason and discuss things it really wouldn't be any point because we'd have everything in common we'd know everything But unity is deeper than uniformity because unity requires a sacrifice, a death to self. Uniformity is when we all believe the same thing and practice the same thing. And so I believe that both have their place. But there is power in oneness. Some of you have listened to or heard the stories from the Haiti hostages. A few months ago and as I listened to those stories it was impressed on my mind how God used the different gifts that each person had in that group and they spent many hours discussing things and praying together they discussed the possibilities of escaping there was different opinions and perspectives they grappled with that thing for many many days and hours and they challenged each other with their personal views and how that they think, thought that things should be done they had, diff- they had disagreements different views of how it could be done and when and you know they couldn't just walk away from each other and go find another group to be with they were stuck together as a group and they had to work through this thing together and not just walk away from their disagreements. And I think as God worked in their hearts and as they learned to respect each other's views, And at one point, it seemed like they had almost given up of ever even the possibility of getting out of there. That that's really when God started working in their hearts. And to open the doors. There was a brokenness, a surrenderedness. They they realized that they have no power on their own. They realized that they need to be one. There needs to be a oneness. And as they gave themselves up to that, there was a tremendous blessing in in the power of oneness and unity that is a testimony for us today. Clear evidence of the power of oneness and how that when, once they were united together, God just opened the doors and he led them right out of there. To me, it's just absolutely a miracle to this day yet. I'm fascinated by all that took place there over and over again. God and his goodness, but the power that that is, the testimony that that is to the world. And so thinking of that as a church body and how that our oneness impacts the people the world around us we face challenges we face decisions so how are we going to respond here as a church at mine road i mentioned before that unity and uniformity have their place and when we think of uniformity we often think of in relation especially in relation to how we dress And our culture has probably, our culture has placed, has put a lot of value and emphasis on dress. And so we challenge that sometimes. We we wonder about that. And we roll that thing around. But as you observe the generations before us and leading up to this time that we're living in now, it does seem to me that far too often there is a reaction to what one generation has done going into the next. Because someone else comes along and they tend to react to what one generation did. And so I want to challenge us in that, that where do we come in those places? Because I do believe that far too often there's a reaction to things prior, to how things are done. And so there, I believe there's, a, there's actually unity in tension and I want you to think about some of those things. As we grapple with things in our church, we can think of church renovation. We can think of how we do our standards of practice. These are things we grapple with. Sometimes that reaction is positive, but I think nearly always, far too often, it's, it's negative. And so I ask this question Do, do standards and regulations produce holy living? I think we would all say they don't. In fact, I I trust that we would say they do not. That's not where we put our faith and our trust. And so why do we emphasize them? And so we grapple with these things with what our culture and our heritage has given us and taught us. Because I do believe that some of these things have their place. And they have a purpose. And they do guard us and protect us. And we also need to recognize that there are real dangers in resting alone on regulations to address the issues of holiness. They do have their place, but regulations alone do not produce holiness. And I want to just quote what John Koblenz says. The presence of Jesus is neither generated nor preserved through written regulations. He also says this. The Healthy Church has written regulations by the direction of the Spirit not to bring life to members, not to bring Jesus in, nor even make him more real, but because he is there. That might be a little bit to think about. The Healthy Church has written regulations by the direction of the Spirit not to bring life to members, not to bring Jesus in, nor even make him more real, but because he is there. Jesus prayed for oneness. How do our lives reflect that? What do people see when they look at our lives? Jesus prayed that we would be one. Why? So that the world would know and believe. And I do believe the things that we choose or or choose not to do, it does, there is consequences. Paths are about the issues of the heart and, and life choices. We could argue that if our heart is right, our choices are right. But is that necessarily true? Is it not possible that a sincere heart can make bad choices that bring brokenness and sorrow into our lives? Isn't it true that we need a source of wisdom much bigger than ourselves? Could it be that one source of this wisdom can be found in the brothers and sisters who walk the journey of life with us? And the Holy Spirit uses, I believe the Holy Spirit uses fellow believers in the faith to keep us on the good path. But let's not forget. The oneness with our Lord Jesus Christ. There's power in oneness. I thank God for each of you here today. God has given you a gift, a spiritual gift. And I trust that we can use them for the edification of the saints. Kneel with me for prayer.